0: Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, and welcome to an exciting edition of Steam Cleaners, the podcast where my lovely co-host Walter and I get to talk about video games we've been playing over the last two weeks. Walter, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. I
1: have, uh, uh, By the time this comes out, it'll have been a couple of weeks, but prior to us recording this, I just went on a vacation to Lake Placid, New York uh, with my girlfriend And realized maybe choosing a winter resort destination when neither of us ski or snowboard or snowshoe was maybe not the best idea during winter when that's really all that's going on. Uh, We were there for the very, very last day of the Olympics and the one thing that I had really wanted to do was to see, you know, the Olympic Center from, from the eight, you know, 1980s Olympics and see the ice arena where the United States uh, defeated the, uh, the Soviets. Uh, all that was under construction. So they had like one little conference room that was open that had like, you know, just a bunch of just random pieces from their collection just so there was something that you could visit. Um, but overall, it was it was really nice. It was nice to kind of get away from everything. I got to see another part of New York that I have not, uh, despite living here for as long as I have. And I kind of came back from it uh, a bit refreshed and uh, rip roaring and ready to go, which is why I did not uh, I did not actually have a lot of time to play uh, this week's game. But that's fine because yes. I didn't need a lot of time to play this week's game.
0: Uh, but Chase, how are, how have you been doing? Wonderful. You know, I'm doing pretty well. I uh, just had uh, a nice uh, evening with a couple friends uh, in which we watched a movie that uh, you are not going to watch. Um, I can assure you that you have no interest in this whatsoever. Uh, It is uh, The Eyes of of Tammy Faye Baker, um, which is indeed a a movie about the uh, televangelist. Um, And I got to tell you, Walter... Um this movie tries really hard to uh, ignore any amount of complicity she could have possibly had in her husband's many many financial crimes. Um I like Jessica Chastain did a good job in the role. Like she's very charismatic and it's fun to see like the weird places that she's surprisingly progressive, like interviewing an AIDS patient on air during a time in which like peers would include uh, that piece of shit, Jeffrey Fallowell, like that's surprising and interesting. Uh, but it is uh, a very messy film outside of her performance uh, that really just scratches the surface of a lot of things without really getting into any of them. And so I just know that when we're doing our uh, Oscars binge for uh, Final Cut, that one's not going to cross your radar. I'm going to take a shot in the dark and say none of what I have said inspires you to go watch that film. See, you said that,
1: but I've been watching The Righteous Gemstones on HBO, so...
0: <laughs> a much better product, <laughs> a much better product, for the record. Yeah, so I mean, um, the
1: the content might be interesting to me, but if you're saying it's you know not a great movie besides Jessica Chastain's performance, which... Jessica Jastain is a fantastic uh a fantastic actor. Then uh, yeah, maybe maybe that that will be on the skip list along with Licorice Pizza. Yeah. Again, a movie that I have no idea why it exists.
0: That is fair. Uh but we are we are here for the gaming podcast. And so I will remind the folks at home that this is not just a podcast in which I invite friends to argue with me over the end of the Danganronpa trilogy. There will be no Danganronpa on this podcast. There will be two entirely new games that Walter and I have not talked about on the show before. Walter, what have you been playing that took up not very much of your time?
1: Uh, I've been playing Unpacking. And the reason that I have been playing Unpacking was because I had an idea of what game I wanted to play for this episode, but because I was going on vacation, I did not think I was going to have enough time to play that game uh thoroughly enough to have a, have a discussion on it. So I'm holding that game off in reserve for now, whether it's the next game I talk about or whether I hold on for a couple episodes. We'll see. I chose unpacking because I was while I was thinking about what I wanted to play. I, you know, I thought about just being like, oh I'll just play like FIFA, I'll just play Uh, You know, a city builder game, you know, I'll just pick something that like I can play for a few hours, you know, maybe up to, you know, the four, five, six hours that I like to play to have a good, good uh, grasp on it. And then Giant Bomb does this series where they go out and they have these guests come in and write articles about their top games of the year and Rami Ismail, uh, formerly of Llama Bear Studios. Uh, is a game developer that I um, follow on Twitter and was exposed to through the Drop Frames podcast uh, that Eat Me JP, Carnage, and Ezekiel Third do- does, and I've listened to for a number of years now. And he is someone that uh, has a ton of really good insight into game development, obviously being a game developer and just has a lot of very nuanced and interesting takes in that in the world and you know, itself, he's become very critical of um, sort of uh, Arabic interpretation in video games. uh, Most recently being very critical of the, uh, the, uh, the Fallujah game that I'm forgetting the name off the top of my head. um, Being super, super critical about it. And I, this article came up and I was bored at work. So I clicked on it and I said, Hey, Like, I want to, like, see what he has to say about games from from 2021. And his game of the year was Unpacking. And when you read his thoughts on it, it just, it, it was the perfect game for me to go, okay, I only have a few hours to play something. I can get a complete experience out of the game by playing it. And so on and so forth. And the thing that really, really caught me on it is he was talking about playing the game And it's a very, very simple game. You have a bunch of boxes in in rooms, and your entire goal is to take all of the items out of the box by, you know, clicking on it and placing it where it's quote-unquote, big air quotes, supposed to go. You're unpacking. You're unpacking moving boxes. And what really caught me on this was he was talking about how there is a A moment in the game where you are moving in with a partner and you go and he says, you know, you you open the box and your diploma, your framed diploma is there and there is no place in the apartment to hang the diploma. None. You can't move anything off the walls. There's no space for you to put the diploma. So ultimately, the only place that it can go is under the bed. And he, you know, he talks about how it's a very, you know, emotionally kind of impactful moment. And you go like, wow, like that's a very strong statement there. And then obviously, you know, that relationship falls apart and you move back into your parents' house, into your old bedroom. And and he's like overjoyed because there's a perfect spot in your childhood bedroom to put this diploma right prominent and so on and so forth. And I was like, wow, if, if he's if if this developer that i really really admire and i respect his opinion on things is really talking up this one moment really really sticking out to it i wonder what other moments he's not talking about and i wonder what else there is in this game for a player to explore and to discover its you know themselves um there is no dialogue there is very little um Exposition that is given to you basically what happens is once you complete the level you take a picture of it It puts it into a photo album And depending on the room that you're in A little blurb gets written underneath it and that is all of the story That you as the player are given directly by the game until the very end Everything else Is up to your interpretation of The items of where you're placing them of the you know sizes of the apartments the the you know quality of the apartments all of these changes and a lot of stuff changes over the course of the game you gain a lot of you know books or you know whatever you are uh, you know one of the things that you kind of inf- you know inferences that this person uh, that you're playing uh, they are a um, graphic designer game designer of some kind because they have like one of the art tablets and you start out you know, with what I assume is kind of like a crappy one, and then grad, and you know, and and um, pens and markers and notebooks and that kind of stuff, and then like gradually, like you get a nicer one, and then a nicer one, and and it builds up and it builds up and it builds up. So that's like part of the the narrative storytelling. Um. So do I have you on board so far?
0: Do we have any any questions yeah. at this point? I mean, I, I do love, uh, first of all, uh, Rami is a great Twitter follow. 100% percent cosign. sign um, Very interesting uh, insights on the industry and games as a whole. I do love these kinds of indie games in general. In general, I just, emergent storytelling is so pivotal to me. Uh, it's the reason why I love uh, games like uh, XCOM so much. Because XCOM is another game in which you don't really get a ton of story. The story that you get is very generic. The story of XCOM is about the individual soldiers that you have and how their randomized moments across, you know, multiple missions build narratives that you create about the character, right? Like it's not just that there is a guy with a shotgun that is pretty high-ranked in your team. It's that you've got Corporal Hingle McCringleberry who always crits on the shotgun when you need him to, because in three fights that you vividly remember, he crit on all those shots, and you just don't worry about the other times. He's, he's the guy. Um, and uh, I, like. I, I think that stories are at their best when they leave at least some room for that, some room for interpretation and the ability to extrapolate what doesn't need to be a hard character moment into a character moment that you can get attached to now it sounds like that is basically the entirety of this game rather than having like a basic overview that of the character that you can kind of base your decisions on you're just thrown into it and the decisions are entirely yours to make, without any sort of uh guidance from the game that you could either steer into or away from, am I understanding that, that properly? That is
1: correct. The only information you have about this character is what you have in the boxes or what has already been placed in you know some of the you know some of the the rooms or the apartments or um so on and so forth, like you never learn anyone's name, you never learn. Uh, partners names you never actually like n- it never actually happens where it says oh you're moving in with a partner until like uh, like the first time it happens with the dip- the diploma scene is very obvious like it's very obvious you are moving into somebody else's apartment you there are bookshelves in the living room that has stuff all over them you can't move any of that stuff it's there you can't move anything around it's actually really funny that um there is an achievement in the game and some of these are like minor spoiler things, but there's an achievement in the game where it's called Tidy Whities. And the achievement is that you move all of the partner's socks and underwear into one drawer nice and neatly. Because when you get there and you open the two drawers, two of the four drawers, it's like half full and they're just kind of haphazardly thrown in there. Um, but because you start in the living room and you find you can't move any of this person's stuff. When I got to that the first time, and spoiler, I went and looked up the achievements because I wanted to have the game 100% completed. Um, I wanted to see what all these little nuances were because I just I didn't want to dig, dig and dig for myself. Um, I, I opened those drawers the very first time and went like, oh yeah, huh, okay, cool. And then I closed them and didn't even think for a second that I could have moved any of their clothing around to, you know, give myself more dresser space. I fell into the, the sort of narrative trap that was created of I'm moving into someone else's space, so I'm going to make my stuff fit around theirs. And Rami brings it up in his review that it is. You are, you are moving into a very um, unflinching, unhelpful partner and it's no surprise that eventually it doesn't you know work out and you like move back home with your parents which i feel is an experience that a number of us um can relate to and can understand and you know i a number of us have had these failed relationships where you move in with someone and you know sometimes it's not hey we found an apartment together it's i'm moving into their apartment and you like walk on eggshells because you are trying to be as little as um you're trying to impact their life as little as possible because you feel like you're like trespassing and it takes a while for that place to actually feel like home to you. Um, I'm not ashamed to admit that I cried at the end of this game. Um, and not like it It was a happy, it was like a happy cry. It was like everything turned out in the end. Um, it was a good story, and it was a story that I was incredibly emotionally invested in, and it reminded me of of another game, and this is the only other game that I've ever cried in, and, and uh, that's the Beginner's Guide. Um, I played that a number Ooh. of years ago, and
0: brilliant game.
1: I've only ever played it once, and it st- it sticks out to me so much because I was playing it. Um, I played it in two sessions, and and the second half of it, I was playing it at like two o'clock in the morning when i was finishing it and just at the point in my life that i was at then the the finality of that game um and if you have never played it i would highly suggest you play that game um and and i'm not going to spoil it but the finality of that game and everything that it, it comes down to at the end i that was an that was an ugly 30 minute like sob fest of you know as as it slowly spiraled to the end um, that I like couldn't control myself because it spoke to me so viscerally, and I only spent probably three hours with either of those games, with the beginner's guide or unpacking, and both of them were so well done and so so visceral in the story that they were telling and the interpretation that they are leaving you up to have that it catches you by the heart and it just, it drags you along for the ride. And when you get to the end, you can't help but feel overwhelmed in the best way possible. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a bad emotional feeling. It's, they're two different emotions. They're, they're very, I would say they're opposite ends of the spectrum of what they're trying to get you to do at the end. Um, but it's incredible that, video, a video game can do that, you know, and I, again, it's two and a half, three hours, like that's a movie like that. And I guess it's one of those things where I'm coming off of obviously playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla. That's what I talked about last time. And it's incredible to me that I could spend 180 hours with that game and sure, there are moments where I'm like, yeah, like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Like, yeah, I enjoyed that. There are some moments in that game where there is, like, a, an emotional connection, and some really good storytelling and narrative design. But then at the end of it, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I'm done with that game. Or in my case, I was, like, trying to push myself to finish the game. Or Red Dead Redemption 2, kind of the same way. Like, I was attached to Arthur. But at the end of the day, like, I stepped away from it. I was like, wow, that was a really good story. That was a good experience. Cool. Whereas unpacking. At the end of it, it was. I couldn't just like I couldn't just be finished. I had to like sit there and and let myself feel what it was trying to accomplish and and what the story that it was trying to tell because it feels like such a personal story that you know the the people behind it, um, uh, which beam like it, it feels so personal in a way that it's clear that they have experienced a lot of what they put into that game and are just wanting you to experience that with them in a really, really simple, straightforward, and really well-executed... Like, I I, I feel like it's doing a disservice by saying, like, oh, you're just opening boxes, taking items out of the box, and putting it onto shelves or putting into closets or whatever. But you get sucked into the minutiae of it to the point where i'm like i had a shelf that was all spiral bound notebooks and the moment that the spiral bound notebooks didn't fit on that shelf anymore and i had to put them onto the shelf with the normal books i had to like rearrange the normal books to then make sure that the spiral bound were all the way to the edge because i wouldn't have wanted the spines of the book to be damaged by the spiral and I'm like, that's what I do in my own house. Like, that's how I would organize that shelf if I had a bunch of spiral bound notebooks and a bunch of normal books. I did all of the books by height because that's how I do it in my house. You know, I, I did everything the way I would do it, but still having this narrative of this, this other person and their life and all of these like milestones. It's, it's a really damn good game. Like I can totally understand why when it came out it was so widely regarded, and why someone like Rami would consider it, you know, their game of 2021.
0: Yeah, it received a lot of awards, um, the Game of the Year and Excellence in Accessibility Award from the Australian Game Developers Award. Uh, it was named one of the best video games of 2021 by uh, the New Yorker, the LA Times, Forbes, CNET, Enemy, uh, Polygon. Uh, so many places uh really fell in love with this game. And I got to be honest, it sounds incredible. And from a story perspective, I am very interested. I feel like this is a game that if I were to get and play on my Switch, my roommate would give me a very hard time because I haven't organized my own room. Like, <laughs> spending three, four hours organizing... um A game world rather than my own world uh feels like a uh priority thing but like you explaining this to me kind of makes me realize like there is an art to organizing stuff that is more than just putting things in a place right it's the memories attached to it it's the things you find that you forgot about and uh I don't know. Uh, you may have inspired me to finally clean my room, Walter. That's, I think that's the, the, the larger I mean, I, mean, I I'm certainly going to play Unpacking at some point. It's, it sounds awesome, and I'm glad that you uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. But uh, yeah, gotta get my own house in <laughs> order as well.
1: I, I would say absolutely play it. Now, not like, here's the rub. So beating the game for me took about two and a half hours maybe a little under two and a half hours and then and that got me like just about half of the achievements maybe a couple, maybe like one or two more than half and then I decided I wanted to know what all the achievements were because again I'm a little impatient and I know like I could have eventually figured out most of them like one of the ones that I did figure out was something really simple and I, I'm not going to say it's spoilery um but you have kitchen magnets for your fridge and there's a one there's a plus sign there's a two there's an equal sign and there's a three it's not very difficult to be like oh i should put those in order to like there will be a plenty of people that will look at that and go oh i'm gonna put those in order and boom and that's an achievement like right there there are other ones that are very obscure and you probably would not figure out on your first playthrough and even looking at what like the the achievement says would probably take you a while to like figure out exactly what it's trying to ask but it it it's very fun. It's very nuanced. Um, it's $20. And I know to some people, gameplay time and cost go hand in hand. And while I understand that, um, Witchbeam deserves every penny of that $20. Like, if you get it on sale, you know, on a Steam Spring Sale, Summer Sale, whatever nintendo shop sale whatever like i'm not going to begrudge you on that because i get it 20 bucks for a game that you're going to play for like three four hours does seem steep but i promise you the the story and the the narrative interpretation that you get to create in your own head and go on this journey with them is absolutely worth it um i i can't think of a game that i would recommend more highly to literally anyone on the planet like any any person walks up to me and says, "Hey, I want to play a video game. What should I play?" I'm going to tell him you should play Unpacking. Like this is about as close to a perfect game as I have ever played, um, and I'm I'm really really glad that I was bored at work one day, read a giant bomb article, and then played this game.
0: Yeah, I I, I will say because uh, I just want to echo your point uh, with indie games. These are not. A titles in which the goal is to keep you engaged for the whole $60 price point tag, and they have to flood it with a whole bunch of side quests and whatever else to keep that engagement going. 20 bucks for an indie developer goes such a long way. Um, and I, I think that indie games, you know, you judge them based on the quality of the hours you have, not how many hours there are. Because I guarantee you, uh, there are a lot of things that I have spent time on Uh, That didn't cost me anything, uh, but that I wish I had that time back. Uh, And I have plenty of things that I have spent a lot of money on uh, that I, uh, it doesn't sound like I, I, certainly I didn't get enough enjoyment out of uh, compared to the amount of enjoyment you got over this one. So um, I definitely agree with you completely on that point.
1: Absolutely. Get it on your Switch, play it during your commute to work, or just, you know, uh, lazy night inside while it's raining or uh, or snowy if you get snow in, in your part of the world like I'm about to uh, tonight. Uh, but Chase, let's unpack what you've been playing.
0: <laughs> I see what you did there. I have been playing Fire Emblem Three Houses and I've been playing Fire Emblem Three Houses on and off for about two years now. I think the first playthrough of the four must have been before the pandemic, um, but I I know that... Or no, it must have been after the pandemic, because I've played them all with my roommate, um, but it was very early on in the pandemic, and I have been on that game's journey on and off ever since, because it is a turn-based strategy game uh, published by Nintendo, for those of you who don't know, and the key of the Fire Emblem series is that uh, it is a turn-based strategy game with permadeath. If you're playing on the classic difficulty and your character dies in a fight, they're gone forever. So in order to successfully uh, get to the end game with all of the people that you care about, you need to be very careful. You need to be precise. You need to make use of all of your strategic advantages. You really need to flex those game muscles. Admittedly, not so much at the lower difficulty levels, but it has a curve and for people who really want like the harshest strategy, uh, maddening is there for you. I I thought hard was enough for me to be pushed without feeling like it overtook my experience with the game. Um it's 3 houses is really well organized compared to some of the other Fire Emblem games. Fire Emblem in general tends to be a little bit messy in trying to tie in like these different Groups. I remember in in Radiant Dawn, which is the one I had the most experience with before this one, like Chapter 1, Chapter 2, and Chapter 3 each had their own teams, and Chapter 4 was kind of merging all three teams together, but it meant that your characters from Chapter 1 were super underpowered compared to everyone else, Uh, and so you'd you'd basically never use them. Uh, This is a game in which you make your decision as to which house you're going to work with at the very beginning. Uh, Your character, after uh, saving the three house leaders, is called on to teach by the leader of the Church of Saros. Um, And you have to pick which house you're going to align with. You can go with the Black Eagles and work with Edelgard, the Adrestian emperor-to-be. You can go with Blue Lions and and, uh, work with Prince Dimitri of the Holy Kingdom of Fargus. Or you can be a Hufflepuff and you can play the Golden Deer and hang out with Claude, who's going to be the leader of that, theoretically, um, down the line. Even though it's kind of... The Golden Deer are weird, man. It's it's meant to be this kind of alliance, almost democracy, but still with a very entrenched upper class. And it kind of feels like it's where they put the characters that didn't have a clear home in what feels like the two biggest parties, and then ironically gave them the ending that has the most story implications wrapped up. It's a very interesting choice. Um, there is also, uh, the DLC gives you the Ash Wolves. And the DLC, by the way, greatest missions in the whole game. Uh, the Ash and Wolf characters, three of the four of them I, I love tremendously. Um, and the missions are really well organized and really challenging in a way that's quite fun. Um, but yeah, you play the f- the first mode, no matter, you know, the first half of the game, we'll say. Um, whatever house you pick, you're dealing with basically the same issues with a couple minor changes here and there based on the flavor of your particular house. But there becomes a point at which one of the houses turns on the church and declares war and depending on what you have picked, your goal is to either help that house win the war against the church, or help the church and whatever faction you agreed to work with emerge victorious and reunite the uh, uh, continent of Fodland, um after this five years of war that you kind of play through. Um story-wise, I think Three Houses makes a lot of very positive steps. Um the characters are really sharp and really well executed. You you fall in love with all of them pretty easily. Uh some some favorites uh just off the top. Uh Bernadetta who is a uh very terrified like you just seem a, a ball of human anxiety. Uh, She hangs out in her room most of the time, but she's also your best archer and always shows up when you need her to. Um, You've got Dorothea, who is the opera star, who uh, basically hates the noble class, but also wants to marry money because she grew up poor on the streets and sees that the nobles are having a lot more fun than she is. Um, There is Dudu, who is not as beloved by the community because the community is wrong. Um, He is just like so loyal uh, to your character and uh, Dimitri um, in that run and has just this heart of gold despite getting bombarded with racism from a couple of uh, the characters in that house based on the city he comes from. Uh, And, of course, there is uh, Hilda, who is one of the best axe users in the game and is lazy as hell and constantly manipulating the men of the game into doing favors for her um and eventually kind of grows to to be her own person um there are a lot of really good stories i've only just named a few there um i would say the majority of characters in uh, almost all the characters of the blue lions which is the dimitri run most of the characters from the black eagles which is the edelgard run And about half of the characters from the Golden Deer run are great. And a lot of the side characters are really fun and add flavor. And there are enough different types of characters that no matter which playthrough you're doing, you're going to have access to somebody that can do all of the things you need from a strategy perspective. uh, And each have their own unique level ups as they build their skills uh, to create an experience that feels... Just a little bit different with each run, even from a pure gameplay perspective. Um, so far, have I have I sold you on this one? Well,
1: it's not very hard to sell me on a fire emblem game. Um, I do have quite a bit of experience with them, um, either myself playing or watching my brother Alex, uh, who is very very into the you know tactical uh, strategy. St- Genre of games, whether it's Fire Emblem, whether it's XCOM. Uh, so I remember playing, I played a lot of Sacred Stones back on the Game Boy Advance um, with Set and Erica and Ephraim. Um, and then have experience with Path of Radiance and Radiant Dawn, uh, playing them on the Wii uh for the most part i know path radiance was a gamecube title but we played it on our Wii. so i i really like i know what the series is about and i know when three houses came out i was very um interested in it and i think if i remember at the time the like aspect of it being in a school and how like heavily it sort of leaned into the persona style like relationship system um turned me off and and made me afraid that it was gonna be too much of a jrpg uh for me personally i'm not the biggest like jrpg Mm fan um as opposed to the sort of like board game style um that i really enjoyed like in sacred stones like there's there's relationship stuff in those other games um and that's mainly to like move the plot around you know move the plot forward and to help you know your units uh fight off each other and get stronger when they're next to each other um but it still wasn't the main focal point how heavily does the sort of I'm going to say this negatively, but how how prevalent is the sort of waifu simulator aspect of it in the game, and how much does it impact um, both the gameplay itself, but just the story?
0: So my answer to that is as much as you want it to, essentially. Um, you know, there are things like tea parties that you can do to raise your individual support with characters. You can give them gifts that you find uh, when you explore the monastery, and I will say that there are people who would point to like the monastery stuff and say that there is uh, some busy work there you're kind of having to make the rounds once per month of in game time in order to talk to everybody to get a few different uh, you know quests done uh, to make sure that you're getting all of the flavor about what 's going on, kind of learn what everyone is thinking, but like you don't have to talk to anybody Uh, you know it's up to you who you talk to it's up to you to decide uh whether you want to uh give gifts or track down the missing items for people i personally i just used a guide for that stuff to make it as quick as possible um because i wanted to get people's um motivation up so that i could train them uh with the uh, individual training sessions that you have at the start of each week uh kind of picking the couple skills you want them to get better at but at the same time like i would say that this game's greatest strength is its characters and it is the relationships of these characters to each other which evolve pretty naturally over time like the battle stuff that you talk about is a big way that the level ups happen you also can like have meals with characters in order to like get them to eat with you and all of your relationships get a little bit better which again you're going to do because you need to have everyone fueled up so that uh you can teach them and get their stats up to where you want them to be so you can get them the best levels the best gear etc but like the it, it's a quick event like it's like the the dinners are super quick the tea parties are entirely optional you can just give flowers to everyone on their birthday you don't have to engage with that side of it and if you don't want to talk to somebody at the monastery because you don't find their character interesting just don't. There's nothing in the game that forces you to talk to everybody outside of my particular OCD need to make all of the talking bubbles next to people's names go away uh, when I look at the menu. So I don't think that it gets in the way if you're worried about it like taking over from the battle aspect of things. Um, I, I It is certainly like a, let's say, 45 minute break from the main stuff, but it's, it's there to add a lot of flavor to the world. And as you build these character relationships up either through battle or through, you know, these, these events that you can participate in, um, you get scenes of all these characters with each other. And they, they start with like the basic C scenes where they're all, you know, they're students and, uh, you know, usually have some sort of disagreement or don't click with each other or something else. And by the end of it, they've grown. They've come to appreciate something about the other person. They've kind of established a more defined relationship. And you get a glimpse at what it would be look like if they got paired up at the end, which the game assigns randomly based on uh, which characters have top ranks with each other in these support scenes. And the support scenes are by far best part of the game. Um, the, the flavor there is wonderful Um, the characters are very rich and have most of them have a lot of depth to them Uh, you know there are some characters that are a little bit larger than life in a way that's very fun but some of them also play it very straight and you you come to have an affection for them and you know all of this um, if you're uh, not into that kind of thing can mostly be skipped over um, outside of, like I said, that kind of basic management at the uh, monastery that you teach at, um, most of it is engaging in the same things that Fire Emblem's always engaged in. Getting better equipment, going out in the battle, being perfect in those battles that you execute, and in trying to, to build up relationships that way uh, while getting uh, experience and hoping that the growth rates and all your levels go the way that you want them to. Uh, i i will say that the story between characters and how these characters bounce off of each other over time is sharper than the narrative itself and this is where like people who have a criticism of three houses i think a lot of it has to do with the branching paths and how certain things don't seem to be very different no matter which path you take because the game only planned so many battle maps and so a lot of missions they might be framed a little differently but you'll be fighting at the same cities at the same general objective most of the time Uh, and the differences are where the details come in you know and, and those things do matter but sometimes they lead to more questions than answers like in two of the four playthroughs you entirely just do not deal with what is undeniably a huge part of the game's story like in the first half of the game there is a group of people that are established as these evil foes that are working in the shadows to undermine everything you're going for and for two of the four runs you don't do anything about them they're they're uh, a thing that exists entirely off of your radar one of them ignores them entirely um and the other just kind of stops before it gets there because uh i guess from a narrative perspective they felt like the final bosses that they built in felt right more than just continuing the story in order to get to that point would have but it means that you have to ask like so why didn't we deal with this like significant big bad at this time like we're just gonna ignore that that happened or like in in three of the runs uh one of the uh cities uh that you end up taking uh gets uh destroyed in in some way and there's no reason in the fourth one that it shouldn't happen there either like it absolutely there is no incentive not to destroy it there too but they don't which you know Would be fine if everything else felt more different, but it doesn't. Um, so, you know, it it is one of those things where, like, do I recommend Fire Emblem Three Houses? Absolutely. I, I think, uh, the combat is really sharp. It's everything that you want in a Fire Emblem game. The DLC in particular, uh, has some of the best battle maps that Fire Emblem has ever had, in my opinion, um. And I, I think the way they handle the, the beasts that you have to take down and um, it, it's a really good uh, strategic mix. And dropping the weapon circle in favor of a more fleshed out combat art system just gives you so much more flexibility to take each individual unit in the direction you want them to go to, uh, which is amplified by your ability to uh, to teach them more directly. And as you get these support scenes and you really get to see these characters bounce off of each other, there's a a real affection that you will have for your team. Uh, Personally, I'm team uh, Blue Lions all the way. Uh, Dimitri is wonderful. The is great. All of them uh, have a special place in my heart. My roommate got me a Blue Lions tea mug that I still drink out of regularly. Um, But, you know, whichever house you pick, I, I think... There is a lot to get out of it. I highly, highly recommend... um, Well, you can't even really uh, try to save Scummit in a way that would make it easy to avoid playing the prologue four separate times. uh, Because the game forces you to choose which house you're going to be in very early on. Which is good from a narrative perspective, but means that you have to play the same 11 missions to start the game for all four houses. And that does get (laughs) tired. Which is, I think, why a lot of people don't finish all four runs. Um, One of them you can choose. There's like a a thing that happens uh, towards the end of the prologue and you can uh, split into a secret ending. But I don't want to get into the details of that here. Um, But, like, it's so... It's so much the same with the changes to flavor for your particular house that you really want the end game to feel very different, and they don't they're just kind of different in a way that feels like like the uh what do they they call it? like the Berenstain bears like it's just not quite what you remember <laughs> um it's just slightly off, and you're having to remember which runs had which details and why those details didn't come up in the other runs to which it mostly is a bit of a shrug um I do but- I do remember that about
1: Sacred Stones where at there's like a midpoint where you make a choice of which character you want to play with Erica or Ephraim and basically the, like sure there's narrative differences the maps are different but at the end of the day, it's just you're playing with a different party of characters. It, it it doesn't really matter all that much besides, like, what characters do you like more? Do you like Seth? Well, obviously you're going to stay with Erica because Seth isn't going to leave Erica and, uh, you know, so on and so forth. So it is, it does seem like it's par for the course that when they give you these, like, branching choices, they don't really differ as much as
0: you would hoped for. Yeah, which again, like that's the nature of design, right? How much time do they really want to spend on new battle maps? Um, How much time do you really want to spend on uh, creating too many characters when the core characters that you have are so strong and the relationships that they build are so important? Um, I will also say, uh, like, uh, I am coming off a little bit more harshly here than I think I would have Had I just talked to you at the end of the first playthrough, my Blue Lions playthrough, I could not have been happier with how that went down. It feels right to me, even though it doesn't deal with that secret organization that I mentioned. Um, The ending does feel justified and dramatic and emotionally resonant. And honestly, what you learn about the secret organization and the two runs that do give a shit about it sucks. So I don't really care that I missed out on those two things. Uh you know, it it's um it, it it really is a very strong game the first time you play it. Uh I can't recommend that more. Um I I will just bring up one more minor gripe because it's a gripe that I'm seeing coming up in in the quote unquote discourse for uh Lost Ark as well. I hate gender-locked classes so much. I really do. I think it's a terrible idea for design. It's unnecessarily limiting in a way that doesn't make any narrative sense. And it means that you lose out on uh, customizable opportunities that I would really like to have. Like, for example, only females get to be Pegasus Knights. Which means I can't have my men riding a Pegasus in a battle. What the hell is that about? Um, why can't my male get the ultimate cleric upgrade? The, the uh, grammarie also locked that way. And of course, uh, none of the women can become war masters with axe and brawling skills, even though there are a couple characters who are begging to become war masters. It's it's an arbitrary limitation that speaks to. I I think a a very outdated aspect of like trying to create custom trees. Not everything needs to be unique. Uh, sometimes the classes that you made are unique enough that you don't need to gender lock them to be interesting. Uh, and I just want to throw that one out there for anybody, uh, who uh, may be seeing that on their timeline in the context of other games. Um, But yeah, it's a Fire Emblem game. It's a really good Fire Emblem game. The characters are as strong as they have been in a long, long time. Um, And there are characters that are going to stick with me long after the game. I just wish I hadn't played it four times. I think three times I had it. That was the perfect number. I I feel like I could have completely skipped Uh, one of the endings and had a uh, very lovely time as it stands you talk to a man who has played this game for 260 hours and that last 60 hours i really wanted to teach me more than it did so keep in mind that the first 60 to 80 hours are the bit that most of you will care about and that part amazing
1: See, I, so. I won't have to worry about uh, if I ever play it, playing it more than once because I will be unable to choose any other option than the one that fights the church.
0: So... Oh, I have great news for you. Um, you you absolutely can pick an option to destroy the church. Yes. And I would argue that it may be... like There are actually a lot of arguments in the uh, Fire Emblem community as to which ending is the best ending. Like... It's one of those where, like, do the ends justify the means is the moral question you're left to uh, answer. But for the record, destroying the church works out well. Every, uh, everything I, I remember I,
1: about the previous games I've played is that usually
0: the, the church or the religion is usually pretty bad. So <laughs> yeah, Well, and I think one of the things that makes this game particularly good is that there isn't a clean run morally. Like, each run... Uh, does have a very different tone in terms of how certain things are approached because the central characters you have are very different. And you never get the sense that you're completely on the right side. There are always things that make you question whether what you're doing is for the best or whether what you need to do uh, is the best outcome overall. And I do like that. I I do think that it's important to have a game where like there doesn't feel like there's one true ending, which is a a flaw I think a lot of uh, RPGs can fall into, where it's like there's one way that's clearly meant to be the way that it goes, and then the rest of it is more of a curiosity. I don't think any of the runs fall into that trap with this one. I think all of them are equally valid in terms of uh, how it affects the world and which one you tend to prefer uh, is going to be greatly based on your own politics. And there's room for you to kind of put yourself in there, uh, albeit sometimes in a limited capacity. Um, But if you ever do play at Walter, I will tell you how to get the anti-church run. Um, But I will tell the listeners right now that I believe we've wrapped this episode. Uh, Walter, where can the nice people at home find you? Uh,
1: you guys can find me at c underscore LOL. As always, I am screaming into the void about a variety of topics. Uh, 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 it's been a lot of esports talk actually last, last couple weeks. I think I've been paying a little bit more attention to LEC and LCS. Um, it's been kind of interesting with everything that's been going on. No, we're not bringing back an eSports podcast. Don't ask. <laughs> um, but we do have the movie podcast. I'm not quite sure if we've at this point decided what the next episode is, but it's probably going to be one of the, the Oscar movies at this point. Or, uh I don't know. I have to double check and see what's, what's come up to on demand recently, but chase and I'll take care of that off screen. We'll figure something out. That's entertaining. Uh, and as always, you guys can follow the podcast at rough Traps Pod. pod. Um, you know? Yeah. that That's it for me.
0: Yeah. Uh, you can follow me at chase Wassener on Twitter. I admit I am not the most fun follow right now at time of writing. Uh, I hope the world is less of a nightmare so that my Twitter can be a lot more fun. Um, But you can find me there. And I I do uh, recommend uh, if you guys could go and subscribe to uh, both the overall feed, the Rough Drafts podcast feed that has everything and the individual shows, whether it be this one here, Final Cut or K-pop Shenanigans, which has made its return onto this uh, podcast network as well. Uh, We really do appreciate it. Uh, It means a lot to us to get uh, a little bit more visibility and to have all of you lovely listeners enjoy what it is that we do. So uh, we will be back in two weeks to talk about two entirely different games. But until then, goodbye, Internet.